This is Strange Assembly episode 225, L5R LCG Corset Review, part 1. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today are Mike Cook. Yep. And Jay Earl. Hello. And this is Strange Assembly, your Legend of the Five Rings and tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website through iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are sold. As you could probably guess from the title of this episode, we are going to go uh, old school for us. Uh, and do a set review of the uh, the core set of the Legend of the Five Rings LCG. We're going to break this up by clan. We're going to go over the cards. I think that because the game is new and there's a lot unsettled about what is quality and what is not, we're going to try to at least touch on everything uh, not in, in one episode, but we'll see what we can do. We're going to start with the provinces because everybody has to use a lot of these. And so this is going to be a, a consistent element that everyone will see from deck to deck. So let's start with what, what might be the most basic sort of thing. We have for your earth provinces, you have ancestral lands and transposition. These both have five province strength. Ancestral lands get you a bon bonus strength during political conflicts. Entrenched position gets you bonus strength toward from military conflicts. From what I have seen, these are basically the default put it on your stronghold provinces, unless you're Phoenix. Uh, and I mm -hmm. think that that's, in fact, the correct thing to do with these. What do you guys think? I think it is a solid choice. I don't think it's the only choice, but it's definitely a really good one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, of course, depending on matchup and which one you've picked to bring and what your other choices are. But yeah, this is a solid choice to put under your box. I For a while, I was running a Seeker of Earth so that I could... Was, is it Seeker? I think it's Seeker. No, Keeper of Earth, so I could run both of them. And then whatever opponent I was facing, I would swap out what was under my stronghold. No, that, that's Seeker. Seeker's or the Seeker? one that lets you run two provinces always... of the same element. They always, they're reversed to me, so I always forget which one's which. <laughs> right, and you think they're reversed, so you're like, oh, I remember, but then yep. reverse it, and then you're wrong. And Yeah, I keep doing that, too. I'll just assume I'm wrong. I, I blame Chris. Chris. <laughs> and when it's sort of interesting, I, I think they end up there because it's like, well, like, you know, maybe you'll get one stop of a last-ditch thing. They don't. Most of the other ones are are nice if they either they they have a, a a nice longer term effect or they have the possibility of repeat actions which makes your opponent not want to hit them multiple times that's less of a concern with the stronghold right if you have some decent ability but weak weaker province strength in your stronghold well oh i can uh i can you know remove fate from my opponent's characters which isn't going to matter at all if they just break my province anyway and and one of the ways that I kind of consider these, and I don't know what other people's play experience have been, is that the stronghold province usually doesn't matter. 
I have not had much in the way of games where the the province breaking is close enough that you run into a situation where you know I attack your stronghold and oh if you bounce me off of your stronghold you're going to be able to swing back and crack mine. So I'm I, I'm much more interested in getting the the potent abilities up front on my provinces to stop you from breaking in the first place. I actually have been in something like that situation. Obviously, I mean, you you know what's under what province is under your stronghold before they attack, so you can be just like, okay, well, I can throw in this three or four cost guy or whatever, and then I've got enough to crack back because he just threw everything at him, and that can help defend. With these, you can defend potentially with one or two people. With any other province, you're probably not going to do that. If, if you happen to know that they're coming in on the 10 value. Right. And those are the Earth provinces. The clan-specific stronghold that's Earth is the crabs defend the wall. And I, I feel like if you are crab, you should just always be playing defend the wall rather than the generic options. Yeah, uh, it is a lower province strength, but it's still, like, if you can hold them out, which is what Crab is wanting to do, typically, it's, uh, that can be pretty devastating. Which I guess makes this and Phoenix, too, that don't necessarily put one of these under their stronghold. But one of the interesting things that I found is that when attacking, usually it's kind of easy to let yourself lose an attack, right? If I... If I'm going in and there's a solid defense and it looks like there's no really good possibility of me breaking the province, it's not always worth expending a bunch of resources just to stop, just to claim the ring. It might be, but it might not. And the the crab really deny you that ability. If you're swinging in to defend the wall, you must, you, you really must commit to at least claiming the ring and you know winning the conflict and claiming the ring or else it's a, a double whammy. I, I think you always run defend the wall under your stronghold or you run one of the other earth provinces just because if I see defend the wall it's going to have to be some real bad selection for other provinces if I don't crack it the first time. Oh. Uh, otherwise well, defend it's... the wall has an ability that can resolve multiple times. Why I would never want to put that under my stronghold. Oh, no, I would totally put it under a stronghold, because every time they fail their attack and I beat them at it, I get the ring as well as beating them off of my stronghold. Otherwise, it's basically should just be when revealed. Because what other province are you go at versus this one? Like, I would go at basically every any other province in the game rather than defend the wall. Well, that's great times. then, right? That's exactly what I want to see in a non-stronghold province. If it's like like shameful display... Sure, I don't expect to ever get to use Shameful Display more than once, but that's because the ability is so strong that you'd rather go anywhere else, thus limiting your options and forcing you to uh and forcing you to run into possibly more, you know, when revealed reaction. But I mean with with, with your other provinces, it's I mean, I guess maybe if ever, all your other provinces are when revealed, that's okay. I just think Crab are actually so good at defending typically that you throw this under your stronghold, and if they fail two attacks at your stronghold, that's probably game. I, I've seen that happen two oh. or three times now. Well, except that's probably game already if you've failed two attacks at the stronghold. 
Eh, maybe I've seen games go real wonky. Oh yeah, I mean, I've I, obviously it happens, but I I don't know if I've played a game where there were two failed attacks on a stronghold. I mean, barring Phoenix, because that's a really good province that the Phoenix have. Huh. The games I've been involved in, they tend to go pretty rapidly. Not a lot of bouncing off of strongholds. At least, I mean, or or if you bounce off the stronghold, it's the oh, I swung with six at six military at your entrenched position. I guess that didn't work, but next time it's going to be a political attack. And <laughs> I do think it's worth mentioning, too, that the Crab Stronghold is a plus three. It's the only plus three. So this is a, a seven province strength under, obviously, the, one of the others would be a 13. But if you're against a balanced clan, or if you pick military and you're up against, like, Scorpion or Crane, uh, this is going to be more consistently, you know, the same. It's not going to be as high as the other things, but yeah, anyways. So, for the air, we have the bonus to you options. There's Fertile Fields, which lets the defender draw a card as an action. Manicured Garden, which lets the defender gain a fate as an action. I like Manicured Garden better, partially that's because I'm dragon and I need to run a, a bunch of attachments, but I'm always tight on, I'm almost always tight on fate, so... Yeah, I, I think this is really a deck-by-deck, deck, which which one are you going to get more of a benefit of? There are definitely decks like Bidlow Lion that want the cards more than they want the fate, whereas, yeah, something like Dragon probably got the cards, needs some more money to actually afford all of their toys. And maybe that's a, a personal playstyle thing, too, because I know there are there are some metas where, right, just everybody is going heavy in on drawing cards and there's some metas where people are a lot more skittish and only want to bid three and if you're a, by default a bid five player anyway well you don't need the card draw you're going to need the fate if you tend to yeah, if you tend to bid low regardless of of whether or not you're lying and have a mechanical push in that direction right I mean, I think what we will go see as we go across the provinces is, for the most part, it's pretty balanced. I don't, I don't think there's really one given standout, right? Because you really, if you're drawing cards, you probably want more fate to be able to actually play those cards. Because if you don't have fate, an extra card, a lot of times it might have like like a 33% chance of you not being able to play it, right? If you have no yeah. fate. Whereas if you get a fate, but you have no cards in hand, like all your cards in hand are zero fate, then the extra fate... It can help the next turn, but if this is the last turn or second to last turn, it may not be what you need. Yeah, and then the 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 clan specific provinces that sit on air are secret cash for the scorpion, which is like fertile fields, except you get to look at the top five cards of your deck and pick which one you get, and it's a reaction to the attack rather than an action. So it's it's just better. And I, I think that that's always the correct choice for the Scorpion. Yes. I don't know about Art of Peace for the Crane. I mean, I guess you can deliberately defend with somebody, even though you think you're going to break, to try to get the honor boost out of it. But other than that, you might just be like, oh, I dishonor one guy after losing my province. Well, It's kind of hit or miss. I, I like Art of Peace overall. I don't know. I think if you get too wound up the thing about Art of Peace is, especially compared to the other air provinces, the other air provinces, you can go ahead and get whatever bonus you're going to get out of it, right? You get your fate, you get your card. 
And sometimes you just want to let the province go, right? You don't really want to defend it because you've got plans for attacks for later that turn or whatever. Art of Peace, it has kind of a nice benefit. If they swing a whole bunch of people in, well, hey, I can defend it, and then if they crack it, great. Well, not that great, but hey, I got a big benefit out of it because all my folks are honored and all theirs are dishonored. Or I can let it go, and their guys are still dishonored even if I don't have people there. But yeah, it's really variable. Like, dishonoring a bunch of scorpion or a bunch of crab is... Oh, that's not terrible, because that does enable a lot of the cards you want to use. I think it's good overall. I think it's... I mean, especially Crane, they want to be able to manipulate manipulate being honored and dishonored so much. And there's not a ton of stuff that lets you dishonor in Crane that I think it's worth running just for that alone. If you could consistently hit a bunch of people, but... It seems to me that attacks don't usually involve more than two characters, if they even involve that, or like as attackers. And there's sort of a a counter synergy there where if you are defending with multiple characters, then you're probably not breaking, or, or like you're much less likely to have your province get broken. Right. So it's a lot harder to arrange that circumstance where. I actually get the maximal effect out of it of of even of certainly more than two people affected is is harder to arrange I, I think. Well, I mean, I think the big upside to this would be you have a couple copies of Noble Sacrifice in your hand and they've got a couple of dudes with fate on them and you've got a couple chuds that you can block with that you don't really that you actually want them to take the province. They spend a card taking the province and then you spend two cards and take out a whole bunch of fate worth of guys. Like, like that's got to be the big upside to this province. Uh, that's got to be yeah. the high cap. Isn't that kind of like a bad version of the unicorn province? Then, well, I guess not necessarily bad, no. but because I, I've seen I've seen the unicorn province because it's only a two. I've seen them have to take out a two cost guy with it because it's like, well, you're going to break my province anyway. So yeah, because what way of the crane let you choose, or not way of the crane, but the the noble sacrifice would let you choose who's dying. Yeah, whereas right. the unicorn one does not. Let's see, so uh, fire, there's a lot of ability to miss with the fire provinces. Meditations on the Tao lets you remove a fate from an attacking character as an action, which is, uh, right, if they attack with somebody with fate on them, you're like, that's who's not a keeper initiate, you're excited. Uh, If there's no fate on their people, you're sad, and no one with fate is ever going to attack it again. Night Raid has been weaker than I thought it was going to be because attacks, there's a, probably they are going to discard a card, which is just not exciting. I think that Night Raid has more via, has some viability under your stronghold. Because, you know, if, if you only need to defend your stronghold once, sometimes being able to discard three cards on their hand is, is pretty good. And yeah, and like you say, that, that is an attack where they are much more likely to have multiples. So. I guess if I'm following my own advice and I'm playing crab and I'm not and I'm putting my earth province under a non stronghold, maybe night raid becomes the the correct thing to put under the stronghold itself. Well and I mean meditations on the Tao I think has a lot of upside too because assassination makes people really skittish about playing two cost characters with no fate. But then if you're playing a character that's like three or four, you definitely, or three or more, you probably want to put at least one fate on it. I, I've, it's very rare that I have meditations on the down not hit, 
but you're right, you're only going to hit once. Yeah, well, if, if if it hit once and it was a guaranteed hit, I think that would be something. And and the reason it, yeah, I was going to say the reason it, the, the the problem with it only hitting once is that it doesn't stop them from attacking the province, right? I'm right. okay with something like shameful display. I'm like, well, I don't sure it only happens once because you're never going to attack me again. Meditations, you're going to attack just a, a little bit differently. Well, and it's one of the only long game provinces, right? Because this stops you from. Like, that character's going to go away because Ring of Water doesn't really matter because it's already going to be bowed because it's at this province, at this battle, typically. So it's really helping the next turn. But, like, yeah. if they're taking... This is province three, and they're taking your strongholds this turn as well, it probably didn't do anything. Well, if they take your stronghold this turn, too, it definitely didn't do anything. Right. So I think we can all agree meditations on the Dow probably should not be under your stronghold. Just yes. maybe. A little smidge. <laughs> the one clan province that is on fire is the Dragon's Restoration of Balance, which also has a hit or miss quality to it and a low province strength. But I remember thinking that, oh, this was kind of comparable to Night Raid as far as, well, Night Raid is more consistent loss of cards, but Restoration of Balance could be more. And I don't really think that anymore. I think that the the upside on Night Raid is so small and the potential upside on Restoration of Balance is so big that Restoration of Balance is definitely much better than Night Raid. I mean, there are going to be times when it's just going to be then it's just going to miss, but if your opponent has 10 cards in their hand and swings into Restoration of Balance, that can be just game-breaking. And maybe yeah. you don't get any benefit off of Restoration of Balance, but that means they're attacking into you with four cards or fewer in their hand, and that's probably acceptable. The more it helps, the more I needed help. Right. Exactly. <laughs> On Void, if you're Jay, you get to play with two of these. Are you? I think you're going to be very sad, Jay, after, uh, after Winter Court World Championship. Because Seeker of the Void is sort of the perfect role for the Phoenix. <laughs> and now it's going to go away. Gotta pick something else. But if you're not Phoenix, you've got Pilgrimage, which is a strong province. It's hard to crack, and if your opponent claims the ring but can't break, eh, they get nothing out of it. But the ability on Shameful Display is just so good that I, I think that Shameful Display is just the correct thing anyway. I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure if I... I do not want a Seeker role, but it would not be the end of the world if you, if you, you, know, if you just got to randomly pick whatever five provinces you want, you might run both of these anyway. Are you going to be real mad at me if I tell you in my crane that I played Pilgrimage over Shameful Display basically every time? No. <laughs> I mean, but, I think Shameful Display is better, but Pilgrimage is good. Uh, well, just because Shameful Display, I mean, even in a clan that wants to honor itself, and even it's worth mentioning Shameful Display doesn't have to choose your character. They can be two participating characters. So if they have somebody who's glory zero, you can honor them and then dishonor their other guy who uh, you know actually has some glory to throw them down so it can potentially save itself but probably not because if they have two people they're probably going to have three strengths even if you dishonored one of them so 
like uh, it, it's good for setting up honoring and dishonoring but pilgrimage just being able to like let them take it like you know you, you just don't uh, having another five is a big deal i think right? because the difference between four and five is actually pretty big in this game and uh just because of how the numbers work out and being able to throw a very low-cost per person in there and not really caring that you lost because they're not going to get anything out of the ring anyways, it's its a really big advantage, I feel like. Uh, so, Jay, what in addition to uh, Kuroi Mori, what, uh, what void province do you run? Oh, I run Shameful Display because Phoenix wants to be honorable so desperately. Oh, you do have lots of high glory guys, don't yeah. you? I think oh, I mentioned this before. I still still feel kind of bad about this at the Gen Con tournament. Like the, I was playing against a unicorn player. Their first province they attacked to into was shameful display. So I of course defend, honor my guy, and they must have had tunnel vision because they kept going at that province. And I just wanted to be like, no, that is wrong. Stop helping me. Well, so that's. Tempted by that That's three. never going to happen again. No, I mean. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> well, and, and uh, two, your your box makes the dishonor always hit as well. Sorry, yeah. your stronghold makes the the dishonor always hit as well. <laughs> I have to watch that terminology. Uh, yeah, I, I find I have a hard time. I keep calling them personalities. I don't think it confuses anyone, but yeah. But and I and then but but Kuroi Mori is it's the best province in the game right i mean yes no yes okay <laughs> because if it's not that it is rallied to the cause and this is repeatable rally to the cause it's not just repeatable it's just better yeah but yeah, just repeatable rally to the cause is already probably the best in the game so once we move off of void our last one would then be water so you've got Elemental Fury that switches rings. You've got Rally to the Cause that switches conflict type. I, I know I see Elemental Fury played, so obviously there are people who disagree with this, but I feel that, that Rally to the Cause just has so much more upside than Elemental Fury does. I have seen it win so many games, it's not even funny. Yeah, I attack with four military. Oh, I'm sorry. You have... Not, I mean, if you're lucky, you get a dash. That usually doesn't happen, but... You just switch from a, a, you know, a big fight to them to something that they just cannot win. It's oh, but the dashes are extra delicious because they go right home bound. They are. You know, yeah, it's like I don't even have to defend. I, <laughs> I mean, because yeah, you usually they still have something, and so you still want to defend a little bit, or else they're gonna, you know, get the claim, the ring, and all that. But yeah, every once in a while you get a dash, but that's more of an outlier. But it's just this, just too. Well, I mean, a, a Rally to the Cause is the thing I have actually been playing around with putting under my stronghold, and it actually works pretty well. I think Elemental Fury is actually a fine card. There are definitely some times where you're like, well, let me give you this Void Ring because there's nobody on, there's no fate on any of my characters, so it's literally not going to do anything for you. And I can get the ring that I want it back into the pool, because if you were trying to deny me that by picking it first... You know, obviously I can throw it back into it. But I just, I don't think the upside on that is nearly as high as relative to the cause. Yeah, I I don't know. And there are things, yeah, you can air, air, in, a, air in a game where the honor doesn't really matter. 
water in a position where like they have nothing to straighten and all of your straightened dudes have fate on them. Right. And then the, the clan-specific options are endless planes that we discussed before, which I guess has the problem of I really like Rally to the cause. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, too. I, I, I don't know. I, I think endless planes is still worth it because, like you said, most... Most attacks are one to two dudes, and Endless Planes is probably going to have a pretty decent upside. Yeah, Endless Planes is definitely the best one to put under your stronghold. <laughs> what did I know? <laughs> yes, yes. We, we had, there was a big rules discussion about that, too. Oh, really? <laughs> of course. That's... Yeah, well, so here's this, here was the, the, the assertion by some people. Well, if I put Endless Planes under my stronghold, and you attack... My stronghold, I break my stronghold. Not you break my stronghold, I break my stronghold. But in order for you to win the game, you have to break my stronghold. Therefore, if I break my stronghold province with endless planes, you can't win. Ha ha ha. And of course the answer was no, that's not how it works. If your endless planes breaks it breaks the province that still counts as your opponent breaking the province and they win the game. So, <laughs> You know, and the funny thing is, if it didn't, they could never actually win because you can't attack a broken province. Obviously, it doesn't matter, but... Yeah, so it's one of those things where, like, yeah, that's never going to be allowed, so... Uh, well, Jay, <laughs> I, I assume this is the rattling chasing tomorrow strategy. Yeah. You, you can't kill me if I'm already dead. Sapuku! Ha-ha, I win! <laughs> You don't win, but they don't lose. They can't. They can't. Right. So. <laughs> you you can never win. It, it could make it easier for them to win via tiebreakers. They'd be like, "Look, five of your provinces are broken. That's ten points. You, I may not have won like, normally, but I'm going to get it on the tiebreakers." Uh, I'm playing a unicorn honor deck, and so you know you can have Tim all my provinces broken. I've got twenty five honor. There is no such thing as an honor deck, Jay. <laughs> it's just not very good. It's not just like, oh, you can make a bad honor deck. You cannot make an honor deck. I don't see how you could ever possibly win via honor in the corset environment. You can win by dishonor. That's a real thing. I, I, I have seen oh. it once. It was a lion in a very stalled game. I actually had one game when we were playing single core at the release event where I won, I was at one honor, he was at 23 honor, because I kept bidding 4 and 5 and he kept bidding 1 and 2, but I would gain enough honor to stay afloat, so, I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I think it's not, it's not that there's no honor deck, it's that your honor deck probably wins by dishonor before it wins by honor. Your primary honor gain is you bid 1 and they bid 5? Yeah. Uh, so do do lots of duels where you bid one and they they bid five, and just hope hope that that's what they do. I'm just, I'm just saying, if like if I'm built a dishonored deck, some of those dishonored deck builds can you know gain a good chunk of honor themselves because they're stealing. So yeah. if I build an honor deck, I'm probably just going to accidentally win by dishonor before I actually win by honor. Yeah, well, and d- dishonor is a a real thing. Even in, even if you're not specifically trying, you know, you you end up in one of those situations where I 
Like if I if I have the advantage, my opponent's low on cards in hand. I've got a pretty full hand, and my opponent's at like six. Like, hmm, maybe I'm just gonna start bidding one. Yeah. You know, if they bid high to refill their hand, if you're at two or three, that is unbelievably dangerous territory. It's so easy to dishonor someone out who's that low between undefended province, between undefended attacks and the air ring. And of course, if they keep bidding low, then they're choked on their hand. And Somewhat related, I actually saw, I saw Randy Slavin at the Wasteland who's appeared in the podcast previously, he's like, why Why is Assassinate so good? He's like, it feels broken. I'm like, that three honor is a big actual cost. And I think that sync is actually important because it gets you to that point where dishonor is actually very possible. But it's such a strong effect, it's probably worth it, which we probably are going to cover in that card, but still. Yeah, it is It is solid. I And we should still get to that because I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking this episode is going to be like provinces and neutral cards but we will still get to that so oh the last province is the art of war which and you mentioned earlier jay lion is a clan that has a reason to bid a bit low yes getting three i, I don't know if they're free cards since you lost a province but that auto draw it's unlike the art of peace you're always getting the maximum value when it gets popped so yeah, I, I really like this as the Lion Province. It's just, it's up against Rally, and that's hard. Yeah, I'm inclined to think you should still play Art of War. In fact, I... I mean, really? I look at, and maybe the Art of Peace is... I mean, I think that's the weakest clan province in relation to... Right, like as like in relation to what the neutral provinces are, which is kind of how you have to evaluate the clan provinces. That, or I mean, I could also just say maybe you don't want to risk endless plains, and you'd rather just have rally the cause. So I, I feel like endless plains and art of peace for me are the weakest clan provinces. I think endless plains is. It's going to have a real low upside against, like, a lion player who's probably going to have more dudes, but it's going to have a real high upside against Dragon, because I've seen it take out, like, a 7 or 8 fate unit. But, yeah, both of them are are, are real swings. Like, they're very, very swingy outcomes. Endless Plains has a lot of... It has a lot of upside. I just... It's very sad when the Endless Plains is like, and I killed the Sapoon Guardsman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Endless Plains is one of the provinces that you really need to probe your attacks out. And, of course, you... It's one of those provinces where if you're playing against Unicorn, you have to think about that. Right? Just like when you're playing against Dragon, you have to think about Restoration of Balance. That's not the case for a lot of them. Like, okay, the Art of War, you know, the fact that that exists does not change how you play. (laughs) Right. It's like, well, enjoy your three cards, I'll enjoy my province. You might decide, okay, if I know that's Art of War because I attacked it before, do I want to attack it and let them get the five, or do I want to hit something else? But it doesn't change how you attack blind. Defend the Wall does that a little bit too. It gives you more of an incentive. Like, if if you know they're going to win, 
on a defense. There's I've actually attacked in situations where I have the last attack. I've got, say, one character, and my opponent is going to win the attack. But I might be willing to attack anyway just to make them flip up the province so I know what it is. And, and the crab can punish that where somebody else can't. That's why we send in the eager scout. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see. So neutral, right? The the neutral cards are really important right now, given the limited card pool, especially on the 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 conflict side, where there are a decent number of just auto includes. But let's look look at the dynasty, where the the contribution is. It's more limited, but of course it's the only thing you get that's not your in-clan cards. And I want to start out with the holdings, because like Imperial Storehouse and Favorable Ground, I feel like these are really underrated cards. I really like holdings. Mm-hmm. I never have the money to buy out my provinces. Ever. So holdings are a great way to do something with my province that doesn't use fate. Now, it reduces your selection of personalities, and yes, there's the possibility that you flip up three holdings or something like that, but Imperial Storehouse, you can always just shuff that away for a card immediately if you so choose. And Favorable Ground, I love... The tricks. Favorable ground reminds me of route. That's not the right card. <laughs> that is not the I'm... Oh my god, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. It was a zero cost, four focus value card in old L5R that was like, pull your army home, straighten them. Whatever. Anyhow, I think that's actually my most common use of favorable ground is to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Moving in, uh, you know, I I had the option to commit the guy in the first place, and moving in, unless I've got some fatty, which in which case I'm using up my fatty for the turn, right? If I'm just moving in somebody with two strength, well, how is that different from all the other plus two bonus things I might be able to play? But but there are some amazing things you can do with run home. Uh, you know, just I've I've gone into provinces and like okay i i have a guy there i put some attachments on them to defend it's your it's your berserker and they get up to 14 strength and i'm like well there's no way i can possibly save this province so i guess i'm gonna run home and be available to attack again but your guy's gonna be shut down and i can take my first attack i go in with a a big guy if you don't defend okay i break your province if you do defend, like if you want to actually try to save your province and you say defend with a couple of guys, and it looks like I'm not going to take the province, I can just favorable ground home. And now your guys go home bowed, my guy's ready to be used again. I actually won a game recently because I I attacked with, I, was, I would have been breaking my opponent's third province, I think. I attacked with two solid guys. One of them was a Nintendo adept, and so he, my opponent finally had drawn an assassination and murdered him, which dropped him to two honor. So I favorable grounded my other guy back out of the fight. His guys all went home bowed, 
and then I declared my next conflict on the air ring and won against his undefended province. I mean, that's that's an unusual example, but there's just a lot of tricks to be done. Very similarly, the Kikita Challenger... Is it Kikita Challenger? Doji Challenger. Doji Challenger. I don't know why I keep... Anyways, so the Doji Challenger... Obviously, her effect, Harpoon's one of the best effects of the game, so her ability to bring somebody in on attack is amazing, and then favorable grounding her home, and then, hey, she's got an equal amount to go attack something else. I think this card's great for a card... I, I can see why you would like it. It's really good for balanced characters. Like, Phoenix really likes this. Crane probably likes this in a lot of cases. Dragon loves this card, so I could totally see why you would love favorable ground. I think in a deck like Lion, where it tends to be more heavily loaded towards, like, military, it does a little bit less, right? Because I've already done my military, bringing home my, like, 3-1 guy is just not as good. Or my, you know, my 3-0 or whatever is just not as good as bringing home my 3-3 or my 4-4. Correct. I mean, although there are usually, there are, there are usually two of each conflict available each turn but but still i mean that lessens the chance that there's a relevant conflict for them to participate in oh yes and this card combos incredibly well with spyglass <laughs> yes well just so if if you swung in with like right two guys or like you're one big guy on military right and uh, it's more a military guy and they blocked with enough to defend they probably don't have enough to attack you on military so him being at home doesn't help as much. I'm not saying that it's bad, I'm just saying if you're more top-heavy, I think this is a little bit worse than if you have balanced characters. No, you're right, and and you're right that Dragon have very balanced characters for the most part. Yes. But I'm very happy with, with both of those holdings. I also think that, that the Atomo Courtier and the Sapoon Guardsmen are quite playable. They're efficient for what they do. They obviously have their limitations, but just Getting two in a stat off of a character that costs one is worthwhile, and they can always defend. I had several people think that they can't participate at all when your opponent has the Imperial favor, but they can always defend. I mean, they're super vulnerable to rally the cause, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yep. So I, I think that the other two normal neutral characters, Mia Mystic and Wandering Ronin, should never be in your deck. So I'll just put that out there and let you guys offer any contrary opinions you may have. Wandering Ronin, it's tough. I could see him getting a spot because there are times where his being able to pump is actually quite good because he gets it for both. Although it's only one conflict, so it's not even like you can favorable grounds him home. Like you can't pump him up real big then you know, or, or play something that lets him not bow for attack because he's not going to keep those fate bonuses uh, the, uh, the skill bonuses between conflicts. Maya Mystic, I think, is okay. Like, I think she's a, going to be potentially a very replaceable card, or he, I guess you can't really tell from the one little silhouette. I think they're a very, probably replaceable card, but if you need some attachment hate, and Dragon is a pretty strong clan at the beginning of the game, I don't think Myst- Maya Mystic's that bad, and it increases your density for Shugenjas, for cloud the mind, which actually is kind of important. Yeah, I, I agree with my mystic. I think you're basically paying two for some attachment 
removal, which, depending on your meta, is probably pretty good. Two for most attachment removal is bad. Two is more than most attachments cost. Mm. I mean, yeah, you're gonna you may break even, and it does let you do cute things, right? Like you can you can buy the mystic, and then you can use it to attack or defend, to so you have presence, and then when you and then after it's bowed, you can blow it up, and it was otherwise gonna get shot. But the most prevalent attachments cost zero. Right, but yes, it is feet inefficient, but it may still save a province. Yeah, I, mean, I, I rather other... be down two feet and up a province. Yeah, Chris, not all of us are dragon have access to let go. I'm pretty confident, having played a number of games, that in fact everyone has access to let go. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was actually pretty shocked when I walked into the meta in one of my local stores. Everybody had picked Crane as their as their splash. I'm like, well, hey, I, I, you know, we're friends for everybody. I'm happy with this, but I'm really kind of surprised. That's different. I'm not saying it's the correct thing to do for everyone to just run Let Go, and Let Go isn't even the best card that you get out of the Dragon Splash. Oh no, but... it's not. But it's one of the few other pieces of attachment hate that are that are floating around. So sometimes you just really need to be able to deal with attachments. I think it's just a uh, a not super optimal card that is still probably runnable depending on metas. Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. Depending on metas and while we're in the core environment, I would be highly surprised if after the first cycle that card is still remotely playable. But right now, just because you don't have a whole lot of other options for dealing with attachments. Oh, you don't have a whole lot of options for dealing with characters with attachments, too, right? Because a lot of times attachments shut off things like Route and uh, whatever the political one is. Outwit? Yeah, Route and Outwit. Yes, or or my precious Nintendo Adept. So the last two neutral Dynasty cards are the Keeper Initiate and the Seeker Initiate. Now, it is, it is my uh, personal take that Keeper Initiate is bonkers good... <laughs> and is the reason why five clans chose keeper roles at the the Gen Con tournament, which you know will never happen again because they they changed the rules on that. The ability to bring the guy in for free with some fate is fantastic. I mean, the possibility that you can get two of them. I love. I don't know if there is any card I want to see in my opening flop in my provinces more than Keeper Initiates. The fact that they come back out of the discard pile, he does not have big stats, but he's free. Seeker Initiate, on the other hand, you actually have to pay for, which makes me not like him so much. <laughs> I don't know. I think Seeker Initiate is fine. I think it depends on your deck. If you are a deck that really wants to see specific cards, I think Secure Initiate is very runnable. And especially if, obviously, if you want to run two of the same province type, uh, element type province, Secure Initiate is obviously going to be who you want. Uh, Keeper Initiate's good, but, I mean, I've had times where it's like, it's a 1-1 one, one and maybe it has a feed on it, but it just doesn't do that much. So yeah, it's free 1-1, one, one, but eh, sometimes... Whereas Seeker Initiate, I've seen it actually also win games. I don't, I don't know. I think the Seeker Initiate upside is higher than you're thinking. If this was a 1-1 one, one that just drew you a card, which seems like a pretty good baseline, that's for two, that seems 
okay to me. Like, one fate for one card is maybe a little high, but it, it still doesn't seem that bad. Well, you also don't necessarily get to draw the card. I mean, like, if I... Right. Like, over in Dragon, you have the Agasha, and he's basically action draw a card, but critically, he's basically always action draw a card, and he actually has a two political skill to fight in a conflict, whereas the Seeker Initiate has those same sad 1-1 stats, and you may not actually get to activate his ability. And and he's also a card that you, like, for an ability like that, you kind of like to have it hanging around a little bit more, but is is the 1-1 for 2 the guy you really want to spend fate to keep around? I mean, you'd only have to be around for two turns for, you know, and then you literally are paying, like, a fate for a card. I, I don't know. I just, I don't think, and it's not just a card, right? It is, like, you get to look it through the top five for any card that you want, which is significantly better than just draw a card. It, it is, which is, yes. I mean, but which is a big reason why Secret Cash is, is bigger than Fertile Fields. I I absolutely agree about that. I just don't think he warrants the the cost. But still, I mean, I, I think that if you are eh on the guys that you have in your clan and you want to round your deck out with things that don't cost a lot of fate. You know, if you've got lots and lots of fate, the neutral dynasty cards are less good for you if you're already chock full of cheap characters, but if you're, you know, wanting to add things to your dynasty deck that let you flow a little bit more without eating up a lot of fate, I, I think there's a reasonable set of stuff to plumb there on the, the dynasty side between the holdings and the Imperials, and then the Keeper Initiate, if you uh, are one of the clans that has the the Keeper role. But on the Conflict side, so I am going to assert that there may be other ones that this is true uh, for, but I would assert that absolutely every single deck should be running three Fine Katana, three Ornate Fan, and three Bonsai. Agree or disagree? I don't see how you could disagree with that right now. Yeah, not right now, no. I wouldn't be surprised if that's true for a good while. I I think Bonsai will probably last the longest out of all of them, but yeah. Yeah, I think the only counter-argument is if for some reason you've gotten talked into playing one core again, in which case you're limited to two of each. (laughs) But yes, otherwise yes, three of each of those. Yes, you're... I've played so much single core, I I will never get talked into playing single core again. Fair enough. Yes, if you are playing in a format where the rules don't permit you to play with three, this, yeah, then you probably shouldn't play with three. <laughs> there are several other cards that I think are a, a strong consideration for every deck, although I, I don't know if I'm willing to say that... Ev- I'm not willing to say that every single deck should always run three of them, and that starts with Assassination that we mentioned before. It it definitely has a downside to it, but such a potent effect. Yeah. And then also Court Games. Yeah, I, I yeah. could see either of these being two ofs or three ofs. I think both are probably okay at two, although I think Court Games is more likely to be better at three. Although I can also see assassination at three. I just think nine honors a lot to lose. I don't think you put three of it with the notion that you're going to play three of them. 
Uh, that is a lot. Even two of them's a lot. But three, hoping you'll get one early, and then the next one might just be a dead card, but you're okay because you got some pretty good value out of it. Yeah, you know, your opponent may never walk into it, but if your opponent looks at their opening stuff and they go, huh, well, I guess based on what I have, I'm going to buy this two-cost character and put a fade on them and then put an attachment, and you're just going to be like, ha, 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 ninja kill you. <laughs> yeah, well, just also because your deck's only 40 cards, I think two is actually you could probably pretty easily see both copies in a 40-card deck. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want, you can see nine cards right away at the <laughs> right uh, at the start of the first conflict phase. So, uh, yeah, I, I, just, I don't think that third one is playable. But with court games, it's just a matter of how many conf- how many political conflicts are there going to be total, and there's considerably more of that. But yeah, I don't know. They're both good. They're both at least two ofs, I think. Yeah, I'm. I really, really like court games. I can see if you're. I mean, if you're crab or something where you maybe don't feel like you can reliably... Because if you don't have a character with two glory, using it to honor your own character is not exciting. Yeah. And and if you're a, char- a clan that doesn't have a lot of high glory characters, and then you end up playing a clan that doesn't have a lot of high glory characters, you know, I... It's not like Bonsai, where it's just always useful in every single military conflict. Court Games has some situationality to it, but I still think it's extremely strong. And I would kind of default to putting it three of it in a deck until I, unless I, you know, individually assessed my deck and said, well, there's just maybe too many circumstances where it's going to miss, but still, so good. Even that, it, it has another angle in that it can be pretty easy to get your opponent down to, like, three honor or something like that, but then to get it from three to zero is way harder because it's just, you know, they're typically not going to bid high on their dial after that unless you do and give them a bunch of honor for a turn. Core games actually can potentially, even if it doesn't let you swing the sk- the challenges, it can potentially let you help dishonor them out. Because, oh, it's like, oh, are you going to defend this? Well... Congratulations, you successfully defended, but now your die is dishonorable, and at the end of the turn, you still die. You know, it's not the biggest upside, but that is uh, still another use for it. And it can help you come back from the brink, because you're like, well, I don't get any bonus from this, but when this guy leaves, I get my honor back, so I can get another card. That's a use for it, but you're you're probably not happy about it if that's what you have to use it for. No, but but I mean, it, there's points where assassination is just going to be a literal dead card that you cannot do anything with. At least court games can get you something. Although yeah. two in your hand is not good because then you can't even play one of them. Yes, max one per conflict. <laughs> that is a thing too. So we're talking about court games. That's political. There's two other strong, uh, I think reasonably strong political cards if you can meet their conditions though. You've got four shame, so you got to be running a deck with enough courtiers but the whole force of Bower Dishonor can be very potent, especially if you already have ways to dishonor characters. And then if you are not playing a clan like Lion or Unicorn that you, where you kind of are giving up on political, Spies and Court, the two random discard is pretty solid too. It's not 
you know, we're not talking auto-include kind of territory here, but I think both of those are, are quite solid cards on the political side. No, absolutely. I think for shame, if you run for shame, I think you run three of it, or you probably run zero of it. I, I don't think there's probably an in-between. Spies at court, it really, I think it depends on how much else you're spending on her. Two of seems fine. I think it's a one you either run two or three of or zero of as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm inclined to think of that in those turns for all of my cards, <laughs> unless it, unless there's an influence, you know, splash factor going in there. Or you could run one of it. I mean, to cover yeah. all the options. <laughs> yeah, I don't really run one of cards. I do. Spies at court is a pretty good one to run at one of. Honestly, it, it's one of those cards like it'll have a huge impact, or it's just not going to do anything. Yeah, my my default, honestly, is I want the best card, so I might my, my default is to want three of whatever I'm running. And I mean, obviously, that if if you follow that, then necessarily you're going to end up with a a one of because three does not divide evenly into forty, but. I, I mean a, a one of if I I mean if if I if I want to see a car I mean I can I can I can see the whole like well I don't want to see multiples of these so maybe I don't run three but if a card is so dicey that I'm I'm only willing to run one of it I feel like I've probably just got a better option. Well, I don't think it's so much dicey is that you don't always hit the things that you need to actually be able to use it but often when you do and you can it's actually a really good upside uh, so yeah it, it is it's a little bit riskier of an include in some ways but i i still think it's i think it's worth it yeah see i i see it as a potential one of mainly because the cost benefit of the second copy is so much worse than the cost benefit ratio of the first copy because you've used up your your best guy to use a dishonor. Yeah, because I've already dishonored somebody that's being dishonored, and I've already taken two cards out, and it's I have to win another political conflict to get it off again because I can't play both of them at the same time. So it is another max one per conflict. Uh, and then we have there's two similar cards: route and outwit. Route wit. These are cards that, like when you were playing one core, they seemed good, but in three core, they seem like they're just not quite good enough. There's too many times you either don't have the courtier, or you don't have the bushi, or the person you really want to send home is the person who you can't target because they have too much skill, and it costs a fade, and sometimes send home you know, gets rid of the person long-term, and sometimes send home just means that you're going to have to fight the person in the next conflict. So I, I, I feel like these are, they seem decent, but probably not quite good enough to make it in. Well, so what I think these are good for is, first off, be something like Lion, where most of your guys are bushy, so you don't have to worry too much about having someone that'll trigger it so you can play it. And then you don't actually play route during a military or outwit during a political. You play them in the, at the other time, and you hope that you're not playing against a balanced clan. You hope that you're playing against some 
like, oh, Hina Kasada, you're what, like seven zero. I can outwit you pretty easily with my Chud courtier that blocked this military attack. Yeah, and then like, whatever. So I won't attack you military this turn. I was. <laughs> I'm with you. Because they do not bow, I have had really lackluster results with these cards. Because it's not like just I send you home. It's I send you home and you're ready to defend against me trying to do anything at you. I think Route is significantly better than Outwit because even in Crane, I have had problems with that courtier because it's a participating courtier. And there are a lot of times, like, right, Fan just goes on somebody and all of a sudden this stops working. Because it's not equal to or lower, it's just straight lower. It's easier to have a higher military skill, I feel like, than it is to have a higher political skill. Maybe that's just bias on my part, but I I just think it is. I, I for If these were free, I think you would absolutely run them. At one, a card has to have a pretty big effect for me to include it if it costs one thing. An event card has to have a pretty good uh, effect if it costs one fate. Perhaps stating the obvious, but yes, the difference between zero and one is enormous. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think actually if you if you break it down and look at it, the, on Dynasty side, the stats are almost even as far as political versus military. I wonder how much it matters for Crane because of your stronghold. Crane, I... I, I generally greatly prefer to wait and save my attachments for surprise factor but against the story crane stronghold you have this real incentive to put the ornate fan on before the political conflict yep believe me <laughs> uh i have made that mistake more times than i care to think yes well and if even if you're doing like what jay says there's a lot of characters right that are like three two and so I'm going to have to send a courtier that has at least three skill to be able to defend without wit. And unless I hit my doji whisperer, a lot of times that's a two or three cost guy. So I'm I'm having to defend with somebody who's not probably going to add that much to the actual defense, and I'm not going to be able to attack with them. And I have to pay a one cost fate card to be able to send somebody home. It feels like a lot to get these cards to really work, and the upside doesn't feel that great. Other times, maybe they win a game. So. There are some cards that are bad in the core set. There's a, a lot more cards that are like this where, like, it's not that there isn't any upside to it. It's just that competition is fierce, especially on, right, on the conflict side. You have, on the conflict side, you've got all these neutral cards to choose from. You've got all of your in-clan cards to choose from. And you have a splash where you're going to bring in five-ish of the best cards from some other clan, a decent, not great, card has already kind of has a hard time getting itself into the Dynasty deck. So there's a couple other ones here. I think are I think there's about five neutral cards left, and I think two of them are fall into the possibly playable category, and three of them do not. So in the land of things that cost one fate, there's charge. And a charge has not worked out like I hoped it would, or like I was thinking it was going to. In theory, you do things like, I charge Kasada into the fight. In practice, I don't usually seem to have those kinds of people in my provinces. Maybe that's because I've got, like, 
of some big guys and I buy them and then I've got little guys and if I've bought out my provinces there's nothing and if I buy just my big guy then like the little guys left in there my charges always ended up being things like I charge in somebody with two skill whoop de doo yeah, I, I think charge is definitely a card you have to set up. I, I don't think it's an auto-occlude, but I do think some decks really like it. Here, specifically, I'm thinking especially Lion. I just charged in my Honored General. Bonkers! Well, also, I, I charged in my, you know, pretty decent cost guy. I take your province, I play my other card uh, that puts a fate on everybody. Hey, that was some pretty good value. Yes, that will work out pretty well. You want to have a deck that has a decent number of like three plus cost characters with military with with three plus military. You know, your ideal sort of thing. I I, I mean, the the place where charge really feels exciting is when you're pulling in someone who's got three military and an ability, or like two military and a solid ability. For something like that, it's the when you're just getting a couple of force or a couple of military that's that's when you're starting to be like why am i paying one for this because sort of the the kind of easy baseline comparison and it may be a bit unfair because they're so good but right fine katana is just two for free and it sticks around so if i'm paying for something i i feel like it should do more than just be plus two on a routine basis but well and also there are some definitely drawbacks to charge, right? Because charge has to, number one, it has to go into a military conflict. So if your opponent declares political, you can't use this to, like, defend. The other thing is, because you already have to be in a conflict, you can't use to bring somebody in and then declare a conflict. Or you can't declare a conflict while you have no people who can decla- who can attack and then use charge to actually get a relevant body in. It, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I know the lion example you gave earlier, that requires you to be attacking, and that's a reason to do that, but I I feel like charge most often gets used on defense to go from I have no defense to, hey, look, I've got somebody. I've seen both. I'd say I've seen it a lot, uh, the most in counterplay. Like, I dropped this dude from my hand, okay, well, I charged in this other dude. But it is more expensive, because a lot of times you could just drop a katana, and it would actually be a better th- a use of the card from your hand. And so our the final neutral card that seems playable to me, although I think I'm less enthused about it than a lot of people, is Cloud the Mind. But, you know, Jay, you're our Shugenja expert here. What do you think about Cloud the Mind? Yeah, I think this is one of those that if I play it, if, if you're the one with it in your deck, you get annoyed at how frequently you can't play it for any effect. Meanwhile, if you're the person who has it played on your Casada, you want a table flip. So, um, yeah, I mean, every so often you will find the perfect target and you'll put it on them and you will make them very your opponent very, very sad, but just as frequently it'll just be a card sitting in your hand waiting for somebody to attach to. I do think that this is a card that is actually going to get better with time. Because it's more likely that our decks are going to start to fill up with a whole bunch of dudes who actually do something. A whole bunch of people who actually do something. Who have better and better abilities than they used to. Definitely true. Yeah. Because this game has a lot in common with Thrones. 
Milk of the Poppy was in the base set for that, and it basically does the same thing. You just don't need a Shugenja, and it was one of the strongest cards, and it's only kept as strong as it has been. Obviously, Cloud of the Mind's a little bit less here because with because characters just naturally go away. Cloud of the Mind is great on somebody who who actually has you know a decent ability and has two or three feet because you know obviously that's better than someone who's going away that same turn. Yeah, exactly. That's where you get the table flips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on, on the other hand, if you am I happy if you cloud the mind my clan champion? No. On the other hand, at least they're still a a five five or a seven two or whatever. Yeah, they're still giant force. It's true. If you cloud the mind my Yoshi, I'm going to be very angry. <laughs> well, let's let's wait for those to actually come out, and then. We'll <laughs> yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So then the the final three neutral cards are Good Omen, Fallen in Battle, and Contingency Plans. I kind of wanted to like Good Omen because, you know, this game is on tight economy and, hey, anything that can generate, you know, a fate. But ultimately, I, I just don't think any of those cards are playable. I don't think Contingency Plan is right now. I think if we get a more consistent Honor-Dishonor, it could possibly, because it can be that shock out of nowhere that actually makes them have given you one more Honor than they thought they would. Although, that's the only reason I think you play Contingency Plan, is just Honor Manipulation. No, it definitely Uh, is, because the, the problem with Contingency Plan, I realized this finally, is... Basically, right now you're paying a fate, or you're paying an honor for a card, and so this is a card that's paying an honor for a you're, card. You're paying, a, you're paying an honor to cycle a card, not even to get a card advantage. Exactly. You can cycle a card or steal an honor, depending on which way you're you're going, I guess. But which is way too marginal. There's just much better things, at least as the environment stands right now, to to do on well, that front. And also, like, if you're Scorpion, you can only manipulate yourself down to a zero, like it says here, to minimum zero. So it's still, you know, if you have your dude out that actually manipulates fate already, this really isn't actually doing anything even for that plan. So that's, yeah, it, it's not good. Good Omen, I would disagree with you. I think it actually is pretty good, although I, I probably overvalue it right now because I played so much single core and it could actually just determine games. But I, I think there's a lot of times... The problem is that it's really good in the early turns, and then becomes almost worthless at the end. So I, I think this is a card that I would designate as maybe a two-of, because you only really need to see it once in the game, and it can be a big enough swing that it can really hurt. Like, if they try and swing into you with a Void... You can just let them take the void and then put your fate back on your guy and actually have them for that final turn to take their stronghold. I don't think you run three of it, but I think a two of is actually pretty decent. Your ideal scenario for Good Omen is you have a a fatty who's about to fade away and your opponent plays their turn planning on that character not being around next turn and then surprise well, and it also can help with ring of water right if they do ring of water to try and get it so that you like if they try and attack with a thing of a, uh, a ring of water and like say their stronghold is exposed or whatever you can use this and put 
the fate on your guy, and all of a sudden they can't bow the person they were wanting to bow. Yeah, where the, their plan was, oh, I'm going to force you to defend with that good character because the, otherwise I'm going to bow him down. Yeah. Yeah, especially since you can play that as an action in the middle of the fight. It's not like you have to have prepped it in advance. You get Exactly, to... and you don't even have to defend with anybody. Nope. That has gone more smoothly than I, I thought it would, but it's a very big difference between this and and classic L5R as far as, you know, the way old L5R was, you can only target things that are in the battle, and you can only use abilities on things that are in the battle. Like, you can't, you literally cannot play a card if it does not directly affect something that's at the battle. Uh, <laughs> all that's out the window. Yeah, well, I, I think, other than the fact that people get really confused by it, because, I don't know, I, I guess... Other games, you're just used to it, and especially old L5R, you're used to it. I think it's allowed for a lot of really good flexibility in the game, because if they need to throw on that participating restrictor, they do, and it's fine. Yeah, they, I think they left that off of the targeting on uh, on the brawler, though. I think they may have yeah. accidentally left it off. Yeah, that pro- probably needed, but at the same point, that's exactly what makes Fallen in Battle kind of bad, I think. Yeah. Well, you just have to win by so much. You, I just don't often win by that much or if i'm winning by that much the thing i'm just curb stomping is probably not that important well i mean it does let you take out a character after you while you're also taking out their province right because if their province strength is five you're already there well yeah but they they have to be defending with someone that you care about and i have to win by a bunch and it has to be somebody who has fate on them, or else they were just effectively done anyway. Yeah. I, I, but, yeah, I know. I mean, I, F- Fallen in Battle is just a bad card, I think. Just yes. the way that the game works. I don't think it had to be a bad card, but with the way that it got printed, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I the only, and I don't think this makes it worth playing, but about the only cutesy thing I've seen with it is basically, like, you use Doji Challenger to pull in, like, a bowed, loaded character, and then kill them. I am going to remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I still don't think it's good, but, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think that makes it worth running, but that's at least, uh, well, you know, that's in your control. You can actually force them to pull in, you know, you can drag in the character they did not want to be there, there and that's... That's a, you know that's a reason why you're, you know, winning by five, because I mean I think most of the time if I'm not always but most of the time if I'm winning by five, you're probably just not defending, because <laughs> right. if I'm just that high up on you, uh, unless you just really can't afford the honor loss, I think your opponent often looks at it and goes you know like it's not I, I'm better off using this guy to counterattack than. Yeah. Uh, then pointlessly throwing them in on the defense. Comparing this to say Good Omen, Good Omen's upsides are more niche. I would say they're more niche than like you run into them all the time, but they can win you a game. I don't know that Fallen Battle v- feels like it very rarely wins you a game. Even the the telling thing to me is even if this card costs zero, I still don't know that it actually is that. Oh much yeah, that's better. right. It costs something. Right. I yes. No. Even if it costs zero, I don't think it would be playable. <laughs> right. So. I, I like Good Omen much better than Fallen in Battle. I like I said, I want to like Good Omen. I look at it I'm like, oh, that seems nifty. I just don't think it ends up being. But 
I don't know. All right, so we are we are here. We have consumed this entire episode just talking about provinces and neutral cards. So I think there's going to be a few more of these to come. But we are going to close this one out for now. Uh, Jay, Mike, did you have any, I guess, parting thoughts on provinces or neutral cards? They they are gray. <laughs> what makes a man turn neutral? Is it a lust for gold? Is he just born with neutrality in his heart? <laughs> you can't trust neutrals. No, you really can't. Chaotic neutral, lawful neutral, true neutral. It's its all just a big pile of uh-oh. <laughs> okay. We will be back next time, and we will kick things off with the crab, because, you know, I am a uh, simple man, and I like to do things in alphabetical order. Also... The crab did get left out, basically, of the the live recording from the Gen Con episode because it, it sort of like records up through when he's about to start the clan descriptions, and then like there's a break, and then the next bit of audio comes in with the crane. Sorry about that, crab. So next episode, hopefully, we will not only talk about one faction because God help us uh, if that's the case. I've, I've uh, got, but. Got- something to do next year so uh let's not <laughs> well we got we got to get this done before the first dynasty pack comes out right eh? yeah uh, good luck with that one <laughs> all right you've been listening to strange assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can find us on the web we are www.strangeassembly.com you can subscribe to the podcast there at the google play music store or on itunes We always appreciate it if you leave us a rating or review on iTunes or other platforms. That helps other people find the show. You can find us at the usual social media haunts. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. You can also contact me directly. I am Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. I always do like to hear your comments and feedback. But until then... For Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I am Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Assassin! Wow, one day a man has everything. Then, the following day, he blows up a $40 billion space station, and the next day he has nothing. It really makes you think. What is that from? The same Futurama episode that Jay was quoting from earlier. Oh. Yeah, see, like, I watched about half of Futurama, so... (gasps) I'm not sure you're allowed to be on the podcast anymore. Okay, bye!